Good morning. How are God's favorites this morning? Last week we learned that you are all God's favorites, so I thought it appropriate this morning just to greet you uh, appropriately. You are God's favorites. I hope that God's favorites are doing very well this morning. Uh, we have Halloween coming up this week. Are you aware of that? Uh, that means that there's going to be tiny uh, little ones everywhere dressed up as, as all sorts of things. There's going to be millions of children everywhere all over the U.S., uh, and they're going to be dressed up as superheroes and famous movie characters and astronauts, and, and you name it, they're going to dress up like those people. And it posed this question in me. How is it that you're going to know the difference between like a real astronaut and a fake one? I mean, I mean, what is it? Maybe it's their stature. Maybe they're just not tall enough. Uh, maybe it's going to be that, that you ask them simple questions like, well, have you ever been to space? If you're an astronaut, you should have been to space. Because astronauts go to space. I mean, how, do you, how are you going to tell the difference between someone who comes to your door and they're wearing a Major League Baseball jersey. How do you tell the difference between a Major League Baseball player and someone who just simply wears the jersey? How do you know that someone's not just pretending? How do you know the difference between uh, something that is absolutely real and authentic and genuine and something that's not? I mean, a Major League Baseball player, you would think, would, oh, uh, well, they'd probably have big muscles or something, and you could say, hey, ha have you signed autographs or or do you have a baseball card? Or how many home runs have you hit? I began thinking about other costumes that I'll see. I know that there's some that are going to dress up like farmers. And I began to think, well, how do, you, how do you tell the difference between someone who's just dressing up like a farmer and someone who's really a farmer? Probably the way they smell this time of year, Okay. <laughs> That was for all you farmers out there. <laughs> I heard an amen on that. Yeah, all right. I mean, how do you tell the difference between some, uh, somebody who just decides that they dress up like a lawyer and they are a lawyer? Well, whether or not they're lying to you. <laughs> if you're a lawyer, I'm sorry, okay? It's just, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. Sort of. It, it really began to churn in me this idea of, of those things that are real and those things that are genuine and those things that are pretend, those things that are non-genuine, uh, those things that quite frankly are fake, are make-believe, and it, it, it just, it began to uh, just roll in me, and perhaps it rolls in you, uh, this question about our faith. How is it that we define, how is it that, that we can recognize uh, the difference between uh, someone who is genuine and real and authentic in their faith uh, and the person who's just playing make-believe? 
I mean, how is it that we can tell the difference between someone uh, who says, I'm dressed up in my faith, I have this badge that I wear, and it's called the faith badge, and how do, we, how do we tell the difference between the person that's saying, I wear the faith badge genuinely, and the one who, who's really just pretending? How do we, how do we tell, the, tell the difference? How do we recognize the difference between real faith, genuine faith, authentic faith, and the one who's just simply playing dress up, who's playing church? How do we tell the difference? How do we discern the one that's real and the one that's pretend? Well, we've been in this series now for a number of weeks, uh, and we're asking you, we're trying to encourage you and equip you, uh, really, to raise up the level of your faith, maybe to evaluate your faith, uh, to allow it to grow, to strengthen your faith, uh, to recognize who God is and what He's doing in your life, and we're trying to to get you in this whole series to really uh, focus in on, on what this faith thing is all about and how you can live that out in the world. See, we're, we're a church here at Whiting Christian Church that wants to help people find and follow Jesus. And if we're going to be a church that helps people find and follow Jesus, then we have to know who we are in our faith so that they, we can point the way uh, to genuine, real, not pretend sort of faith. That's what God is calling us to. That's the direction that he's pointing. There's a big arrow uh, pointing in the direction of authentic faith. Well, if we're going to do that as a church, then we have to know what the difference between real faith and uh, an authentic faith and, and pretend and make-believe faith really is. And thankfully, through God's word this morning, uh, he gives us an idea through a pastor and a church uh, who has already begun to ask the question that you and I are asking this morning. You see, Halloween came for James too. And for James, uh, he was really uh, enamored with this question uh, for his church uh, to strengthen their faith, to give them an arrow of which to go in their faith so that they could trust and be equipped in God too. And he gives us an answer this morning to this really tricky question. How do you, how do you show the difference between real faith an authentic faith and a faith that's just make-believe and pretend. And James, as he opens up in God's Word and as he begins to speak to us, one of the things that we can anticipate is that James is going to say that, that faith is something more than just an idea. That faith, is, faith it, it, real faith, authentic faith, is more than just an abstract idea where we gather together and look in a dictionary. That trust in who God is is more than just simply saying, well, I think that's true. It's more than a claim with our mouth. He's going to say, and we can anticipate him saying, you know, there's something a little more concrete to it than that. There's something tethered to our faith that makes it real. If you're interested in the answer this morning, I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bibles and join me in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to, to reach out and grab a Bible. James is toward the back of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. If you get to the book of Hebrews, you're almost there. Hebrews and then James. 
And I'm going to begin this morning in verse 14. Hebrews and then James. Hebrews and then James. If you'll turn there with me, we'll find the answer to the question that we most want to have this morning. How do we tell the difference? How do we tell the difference between real faith and pretend faith? How do we tell the difference between that which is genuine, genuine in faith and authentic, versus the one who's just plain make-believe? James chapter 2. Now, James actually is going to open up, and he's going to look at you and I, and he's going to say to us, he's going to say, hey, hey, everybody, look. Genuine faith is as concrete as the person sitting next to you. Genuine, real faith, uh, a faith that, that actually is what it says it is, uh, is as real as the person that perhaps you go to Sunday school with every week. Or maybe that you drive home with in the car, or, or perhaps it is in your small group. He says real faith is as, as concrete and is as tethered to you as the person that you're sitting next to. No, notice what he says in verse 14. Hey, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Now, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but no, does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. James says real faith is as concrete as the person sitting next to you. He tethers it to activity, to brothers and sisters in Christ. It's harvest season. If you haven't noticed that, just go ahead and walk outside. Notice the, the tractors running to and fro. Notice that the, 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 the semis are filled with grain running back and forth to the elevator. It's harvest season. Now, let's just pretend for a moment that all of us are farmers. And you recognize that there's some farmer whose field has not been harvested. And you hear through the grapevine that this particular farmer, well, he was sick and now he's in the hospital. Now, it's not life-threatening and he's going to be okay. Uh, the problem is that he's going to have to be in the hospital for several weeks. He's got to heal. Now, the problem for him is that it's harvest season. Now, you care about this brother in Christ. You, you even call him. Maybe you even stop by at the hospital. And in a conversation that you're able to have with this man, <coughs> he says to you, hey, I'm worried. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Because, see, I have my, my grain. It's still sitting in the field. I don't know how it's going to come out before the weather really gets bad and and we need to get it out, and, and I don't have the kind of workers that I need. And you leave that conversation. And James says to you, you'll know if your faith is real. You'll know if your faith is genuine. You'll know if your faith is authentic because of how you respond to that conversation. 
James says that real, authentic faith is tethered to your response to life's situations. And it begins with your brothers and sisters in Christ and how you respond to them. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, ah, I would never be a farmer. I don't know anything about farming. But maybe you go to work and you have a colleague and, and her mom has just been in an accident. Her mom is in the hospital. She's not sure how long that her mother is going to survive. She wants to go and be with her mother. There's a problem for her. Uh, she's here in Whiting, uh, but her mother lives in Phoenix. Do you know the problem? She knows that she can't afford to, to take the time and the effort and the energy. Her car uh, probably wouldn't make the drive from here to Phoenix. And she confides in you. And she says, I don't have the money to get a plane ticket. And I can't afford the time off. And James says to you, with this sister in Christ, how you respond in that situation, how you act in that situation, what you do in that situation will tell you what kind of faith you have. That if your faith is real and genuine and authentic, that you will respond in the way that Christ would have you respond. James says, uh, it's not enough simply to say, well, I've noticed you. Uh, go and be well fed. Have a nice day. See you later. Hope you have a great week. He says, no. Your faith has to be tethered to something more concrete than that. It has to be tethered to something more real than that. And if you are a Christian, and if your faith is real, then you know exactly how you have to respond in those situations. And church, I want to encourage you. I, I've seen this out of many of you. In fact, last week, right after service, there was uh, someone in our church, and uh, they were having a, a specific need, and uh, they had a, a medical issue come up, and they had to be traveling back and forth, and, and without a thought, uh, some of you gathered around, and you began to, uh, to say, oh, where is it that you go for gas? And right in the moment, you didn't just say, well, I hope things work out so well for you. Good luck. Uh, no, uh, you let your faith speak in a concrete way, in reality, and it was genuine, real, authentic faith that said, I'm not just going to notice that you need something. I'm going to do something about it. I've seen it in many of you as you have uh, heard about a need for uh, prayer partners for our children's ministry. We needed more prayer partners because there were more children that wanted to be prayed for and wanted to pray with us uh, than we could have possibly imagined. And the call came out from the stage, hey, would you help us? Uh, would you uh, answer the call in your own faith, in your own journey? Uh, would, you, would you risk being transparent with a small child? Would you risk being transparent with God about someone else in your own prayer life? Would you, would you risk that 
And then all of you, there was like a stampede to the table. I want to sign up. Where do I go? And you said, I'm not going to be a pretender. I'm not going to play church. I'm not going to play dress up anymore. I'm going to come over here and I'm going to allow my faith to be genuine and real and authentic because I recognize what God's word says about my faith, that if it's real, if it's genuine, if it's authentic, then it has to be tied to something concrete. It has to be tethered to something that I'm doing. This last week, I just heard uh, this morning that many of you have been praying for a man named Michael, a young man. And this week, this morning, in fact, I, I heard that, that as many of you have answered the call, you said, I'm not, I'm not just going to say uh, uh, good luck, uh, uh, God's blessings, uh, hope you have a good week. Uh, you've been praying, you've been getting on your knees, you've been you're trying to allow your faith to act in, in, a, in a powerful way. And this week, uh, you know what? Michael got his liver, and he's doing well. James is saying, if you want to know the difference between real faith, between authentic faith and pretend faith, It might be as real as the person sitting next to you. It might be as real as the person sitting a few rows ahead or a few rows behind. It might be as real as the person you sit with in your Sunday school class or in your small group. And he says, if your faith isn't tied to something, if it's not tethered to some level of action, if it's not tethered to something that you're doing, if it's not concrete, he says it's not real at all. He says, in fact, it's not faith. Did you recognize what he says in verse 17? I'll I'll read it again. Uh, See what he says. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. When he uses this word dead, dead, by the way, he means it's a corpse. It's laying there. It's It's a funeral memorial, and faith is lying in the coffin. It's not faith. In verse 26, he's going to say something very similar. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Your faith has to be tied to something concrete, people. It's not enough to dress up. It's not enough to come to church. It's not enough just to say uh, with our mouth, hey, God, I think you exist. That's pretty good, isn't it? He says faith that's genuine, not pretend faith, is tied to something real. It's not a corpse. Notice what he says in verse 20. He says, of the person who thinks that they can just give lip service to God, of the person who would say, I I can just kind of play faith. Uh, He says, you're a foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? There's a couple of words that he uses here. uh, When he talks about the foolish person, uh, really he's saying you're an empty person. There's a, a television show. It went on for many, 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 many years. Uh, it was uh, broadcast for, I think, like 50 years in a row on NBC. It was The Wizard of Oz. 
And in the Wizard of Oz, there's a tin man, and a tin man's problem is that he has no heart. Uh, uh, he even says, and as we, as we become accustomed to who the tin man is, he says, hey, uh, pound on the chest. Do you listen to that? It's empty. It's hollow. Uh, what James is saying is if there's nothing tethered to your faith, uh, then who you are, uh, your faith is as empty as the tin man's chest. And he ends by saying it's useless in that same verse. In verse 20, he says it's useless. He's saying it's fruitless. It's barren. It's as barren as the Sahara Desert. Jesus, at one point in his ministry, he came up to a tree. And it was a fig tree, we're told. And he comes up to the tree, and it looks like it's going to promise something, but it doesn't deliver it looks like it's going to bear fruit, but it, but it doesn't have anything. And the disciples come back after Jesus has done a really weird thing. He curses the fig tree and it withers. And he, it withers and he curses the fig tree. And you're thinking, what, does Jesus just have a thing for, for fig trees? No, no, no. You see, Jesus has a thing for fakes. And he said, there is no presenting something, there is no promising something in which you cannot deliver. And he's, James is saying, through God's word this morning, of our faith, hey, if your faith is real, if it's authentic, if it's genuine, there's no more playing dress up. He's saying, it's got to be tied to something actual. How many of you have seen this movie, The Princess Bride? It's a classic. I mean, we could go down all sorts of sermons, I'm sure, and illustrate it with The Princess Bride. So there's this guy, and he is the hero of the story. And he just keeps coming after. He wants to save Buttercup. It's his long-lost love. And there's this genius who thinks he's a genius who isn't really a genius. And he continues to use the word inconceivable. He's this little man and he keeps saying, inconceivable, inconceivable. And finally, one of the guys that he's hired to be with him, the swordsman, he says, you keep using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. James is saying, if there is nothing tied to your faith, if there is no tether in your faith to something concrete, if there is no action, if there is no do in your faith, then faith is a word that you do not know what it means. You keep using this word faith, but it does not mean what you think it means. He says, hey, anybody can claim to have faith. Anybody can walk around and put on a dress-up shirt that says, I've got faith. But only those who are willing to tether it to something actual have authentic faith. Notice what he says. Look with me, would you please, in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. 
You believe that there is one God. Good, good, good. You make the claim that there is one God. Fantastic. He says even the heinous people believe that. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. You see, the irony of all of this is even the most evil, the demons, uh, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll allow an abstract idea for faith to go out. Oh, yeah, yeah, we believe in God. The irony of it all is that they'll even act on it, right? They'll even shudder because they recognize the God who's behind it. The difference between authentic faith and non-authentic faith, between genuine faith and the make-believe, is those who are willing to allow their faith to speak in concrete ways. And one of the best parts is that James gives us some good examples to try and live up to. Uh, recognize that he gives uh, two, two people in the Old Testament that he says, hey, uh, check this out. These are some people that you know of uh, where they have demonstrated great faith. And their faith has been demonstrated, it has been shown in concrete, realistic, tethered to actions kind of ways. The first one is Abraham. Look at verse 21. Was not Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? I mean, if you know the story of Abraham, it goes back to Genesis 15, and he makes his covenant with God. And God says, hey, I'm going to make you this great nation, and then uh, nothing happens. And Abraham and his wife have to hang around for literally decades and nothing happens and nothing happens and nothing happens. And finally, God shows up and takes a barren woman and, and makes her pregnant. And she gives birth to a son. And his name is Isaac. Abraham's thinking, yes, now God is going to do great things. This is the one. He's the heir. And then God does this crazy thing. He says, hey, I want to know that you trust me. I want to know that you have faith in me. I want you to know that you have belief in me. And so he asks the impossible from Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to take him up on a mountain and I want you to make uh, an altar there and I want you to sacrifice him. And if you know the story, he takes Isaac up on a mountain and he makes him uh, carry the bundle of wood up the mountain and he makes the altar and he ties Isaac down on it. This is probably a teenager and he ties him down and Isaac is laying there and Abraham raises the knife and it's as if Isaac was already dead because Abraham thought to himself, God will make a way. Even if I were to kill him, he could resurrect him. And God says, Abraham, now I know, now I know. Stop. There's a ram over there. You sacrifice it instead. He gives us this wonderful example. He says, hey, hey, did you see that? Abraham just didn't say, yeah, God, we're good. Thumbs up. No, no. Abraham said, God, this is real. And even if it costs me my son, I will trust you. And he gives this great patriarch, and then he gives kind of an abstract example, doesn't he? He gives us a man, and he gives us a woman. The, the, the woman's name is Rahab. 
Notice what it says in verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in another direction? You see, Rahab is there and she sees some guys come in that, that they don't look right. Everybody knows they don't look right. Uh, they're about to be captured, but she hides them and tells people to go away. And she says, hey, would you remember me? And James is saying, in, in just a, about as clear a way as possible, is I'm just trying to give you an example that this isn't impossible. That this is doable. That your faith can be so real but it has to be tied to something. It's tethered to real, concrete, genuine action. I'm guessing that some of you sitting here have thought, oh, I, I can't be, I, I, I could never have faith like Abraham or maybe even Rahab. I just don't know if I, and God's saying, no, 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 no. It's not impossible. You know, if I think James were here today and he were, he were giving this message, I think he'd look out and I think he'd begin to look at some of you and say, hey, uh, it's not just about Abraham and Rahab. It's about some people that you have right here. It's about members of your own church that you can look to on a daily basis and you can know that they have tremendous faith because they've recognized that real, genuine, authentic faith is tied to something. I think he would look at guys like Dave Carlson. I think he would look at guys like Dan Neldeberg. I think he'd look at guys like Steve Whitney. And I think, I think he could point out and go over and he could say, I know men and women I know women like Jennifer and Elizabeth and Sarah and Jennifer. I know those people. I've seen their faith in action. And there's examples for you to follow. This isn't impossible. You can do this. You've probably heard the phrase, the question, the famous question, to be or not to be. That's the question. But James, James turns the question into a phrase. I think in his best Yoda way, I think James says to be is to do. I got this from a friend this week. I thought it was really engaging he sent this to me, and I thought, that's it? This is what God is asking us to do throughout the Bible. I'm going to read it for you. In the book of Exodus, he says, Yahweh, God, he says, I will be your God if you do these things. And the people said, we will do these things. God says, if you don't, bad stuff's going to happen. And the people said, we will do the things God says, cool. In the rest of the Old Testament, the people are saying, we forgot to do the things. God says, guys, bad stuff's going to happen. The people, 
we will start doing good things again. <coughs> God says, good, now do that. When we get to the Gospels, Jesus says, if you love me, you will do these things. The Pharisees, that legalistic fundamentalist group, says you should do our things instead. Jesus says, I only do the Father's things. The Pharisees, let's kill him. Jesus, you can kill me, but I'll be back. The Pharisees, say what? Jesus, I'm back. Go tell folks to do the things. In the rest of the New Testament, Paul says, since Jesus died for you, do the things. James, don't just hear the things, do the things. John, if you love Jesus, do the things. Revelation, Satan hates those who love Jesus and do the things. So people, why didn't Christian church People who would wear the veil of faith. To be is to do. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. And I pray that you'll, you'll just strengthen us and, and enlarge our faith in you. I pray, that, I pray that it's not an idea. I pray that it's not an abstraction. I pray, Lord, that, that we would allow the rubber to meet the road. That we would actually trust you in what we do, and not simply what we say. Lord, help us not just to make claims of faith, help us to act faithfully. And Lord, help us to know that you have not left us alone, that you have given us examples like Abraham and Rahab. And you have given us men and women in our own church, Dave and Nancy and Nancy and Sarah and Jennifer. Lord, you've given us Kyle and Ron and, and Josh and Jed. Lord, you've let us know that faith in this way is not impossible. It's very doable. We just have to do it. And so I pray, Lord, that we'll do the things. And in being Christian, we will do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.